Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. In this episode, I have something special for you. Uh, this week at Bike Happy Hour, so that was Wednesday, November 8th, I had the pleasure of standing in Southeast Ankeny with a great group of folks uh, standing in the plaza there. That's the Rainbow Road Plaza. Thanks, City of Portland, for making that, that car-free plaza possible. Uh, we were in front of Ankeny Tap and Table for happy hour, as per usual, and I was able to interview someone who I've known for many years and somebody who I've worked with in doing all this transportation policy stuff over the years. Her name is Steph Routh, and it just so happens after years of organizing and leading in our community, she is somebody who has thrown her hat in the ring to be a uh, member of Portland City Council. Uh, so she's running for Council District Number 1 in East Portland, and instead of just doing a quick little stump speech like we've had several candidates do in the last few months, I thought it'd be fun to actually try to do a little interview with her and have some Q&A from the audience. So that's what we did, and I'm just so uh, happy that it worked out and we were able to do it outdoors in a plaza as people were biking by on a cold but clear uh, November night, and I think you're really going to love it. Here's our conversation. First ever interview in a car-free plaza in Portland? I don't know what this is. Uh, I am up here with Steph. Steph, speaking of the mic for a sec, say hello. Hello. Everybody here? Can everybody hear us? Yes. All right. Uh, we were going to do it inside, so we're just kind of winging it since everybody's sort of camped out already. feel like we should have a little fire going or something. Steph, thanks for coming out. Steph is running for City Council District 1, East Portland. East Portland! And we, we have had several other council candidates come to Bike Happy Hour and chat, but I thought given the fact that I've known Steph for a while and her absolutely amazing background, uh, which of which I am going to list a little bit here because I think it's important for folks to know the amazing sort of like renaissance person background of Steph Routh if we we're going to be uh, considering voting for her for city council. Steph is a founding board member of Umbrella Streets, which folks may not know, but it's a nonprofit that provides all the permitting and insurance background for stuff like World Naked Bike Ride, uh, Pedal Palooza, Sprockets, uh, tons and tons of other really cool things. She was the first ever executive director of Oregon Walks back in the day. There you go. She worked in. She worked for the community cycling center. She was her interim ED last year for a bit. Uh, she even worked at the uh, Portland Bureau of Transportation for a short short while. Uh, she worked at Sightlines. She's got just amazing. She's led political campaigns. She was. You were on the on the team that helped get the fixing our streets gas tax measure passed, right? right? All kinds of interesting of the pandemic. things. Yeah. No problem. She she's also been on the Portland Planning and Sustainability Commission since what 2019. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, folks, if you don't know, the Planning Commission of Portland is a very sort of thankless but very important job, extremely a lot amount of work for no pay and a lot. Anyway, so that's a fa <laughs> that's a fascinating thing. We'll talk a little bit more about your work on, on Planning Commission in just a sec. But beyond all that sort of like regular amazing community organizing leadership stuff, she's done some she's done some pretty amazing things beyond that, uh, working at a cannery in Alaska. Uh, what the heck were you were you were living in northern China during SARS? Yes. It's 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 it, all, all these experiences. She has a BA. How she did has you a, remember all? She of has this? a BA in theater. The internet. Um. <laughs> she. <laughs> Steph has a BA in theater performance. She's worked leading skin diving teams to rescue coral reefs in Thailand after the tsunami. 
Uh, she's lived in. You lived in New York City during 9/11. I'm starting to. Is this all true? Is it's, it's all yes. That's that's just amazing. So and then long bike, life. A lot of I earned every gray hair team. <laughs> and now here she is at Bike Happy Hour, which is really the capper of which the whole. Which is the cap of my life. So. Steph, welcome and thanks for being here. And uh, I, I just thought we would, uh, I would ask you a few questions. We could have a chat and then we'd open up for Q&A. But I do know, also know that before we get going into that portion, there's something that Steph wanted to share with folks and, and well, mention. thank you. Um, first, thank you all for being here. You know, one thing that, that Jonathan mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, I think, on, on social media was uh, some, uh, some studies that demonstrate that, uh, that when you walk and you cycle and you take transit, uh, you're more connected to other humans, that it actually builds empathy, right? And I think that that is one thing uh, that I think is, is so special about active transportation and advocacy in this, that we, we recognize, we feel connected to each other's humanity, uh, that we understand the sanctity of human life and appreciate it. And that's why I wanna say, um, team, we need to call for a ceasefire. Uh, there is a group called Jew, if you have not heard, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace. They are on Instagram, they are on socials, uh, and they have a wonderful, you can go on this evening, uh, they have a wonderful action uh, web page that makes it very easy to contact um, President Biden, to contact our congressional delegation in Oregon, and to take other actions to become more, uh, develop understanding, because I have a lot to learn uh, about what is happening in Gaza and Palestine. Um, and so I would just, uh, we are connected. Uh, we, I think we recognize each other's humanity in this space and how we are connected to others in other spaces. So I would just, uh, if there's one thing you do after this, uh, that is one thing I would, I would very much delight in. Thank you. Thank you for that, Steph. Um, on, a, on a less serious note, uh -huh. um, something I like to sort of start out a lot of the conversations I have with folks is if you could share with us your relationship to cycling. And if not just cycling, you know, mobility and how you've gotten around all your life and, and sort of the impact that's had on you. So I'll just start with saying um, I'm running, uh, my name is Steph Rouse. I am running, uh, as Jonathan said, for Portland City Council District 1, East Portland. Uh, I grew up in Park Rose. I live in Lentz. Uh, so Park Row or East Portland is the home of my birth. It's the home of my heart. Uh, I have been, I, I was car free for 45 of my 47 years. I did get half a car two years ago because I have a rescue puppy. Uh, that's why. <laughs> so, but I have been primarily uh, uh, biking as I, I married my bicycle in 2006. Wait, my wait, wait, wait. You did what? I'm. I married my bicycle in 2006, what? Sparky. My dad <laughs> gave me away. Uh, for for those, for it the was a beautiful ceremony. This was actually where I met you, Jonathan. You were our photographer. I was photographing. This was <laughs> for people that don't know. If you're maybe if you're newer to Portland, people used to marry their bikes. Okay, you can still do it now. That's fine. If you want to do, if you want someone to document and be a photographer, I'll have happy to show up. Yep. But. I am a reverend. I at do the, weddings. At the Multnomah County Bike Fair, I think it was 2006 yeah. or so, there was a booth, a Marry Your Bike booth. There was a, a, a minister kind of person there to do the officiating and everything. And there was 
Steph, Pastor Ted, <laughs> Steph rolled up. She even had, there's a photograph of it on Bike Portland. I, I could dig it up, but you could find it if you, if you go in there. She, she had, thanks. She, so she even had a, a dress and everything, yeah. it, a veil, and it was like, uh, now you Veils make. Veils go great with bike helmets. Now you may kiss the bike, and <laughs> yeah. she, there you go. Totally so anyway, did. people married their bikes. It was a thing. <laughs> yep. It was a thing. Yeah. Have you cheated on it with another Oh! <laughs> I do have another bicycle named George. Okay, that's okay. I know, it's true. Yes, it's an open, loving relationship. <laughs> my uh, my Sorry. my current surly I have 65,000 miles on her Sparky the one that I married um, I had an unfortunate incident I've helped I have moved by bike I've done that 85 times um, bike move number 58 uh, I learned the hard way that um, in fact it is true that uh, that the weight limit on a load is about 600 pounds uh, so the seat stays separated uh, and that was pretty much the end of Sparky. Biking is just what I did. Um, you know, I moved to New York City. It, the uh, cycling is the way to get around. Uh, and then uh, moving to Northern China, similarly, uh, uh, going to Thailand. Uh, I was one of the only folks that had an acoustic bike. Uh, most people had scooters. Um, yeah, I love cycling. I think it's neat. Uh, and and I'll say I. I I was thinking about this when I was writing down um, earlier today for, for a meeting. It's the one mode where you get to smile at people. At I, get, I, tr I do like how many smiles I can get. Uh, I do a scavenger hunt every, every commute. And I think it was about a 12, it was a 12 smile commute to my meeting this morning. And that's pretty good. <laughs> Love it. On your website, you say, I am running for city council to advance community-based solutions to our city's needs. Yes. I wonder if you can share with us what you think a an sort of a community-based need that's not being met that you would, you know, look forward to working on if elected to city council. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think one has uh, that has already happened and how do we uh, how do we make it happen more? Mount Scott Arleta neighborhood uh, saw um, uh, a significant issue in terms of uh, traffic crashes, but also gun violence, right? That we, were, we had been seeing uh, an increase in gun violence. Um, they worked on a, uh, with then uh, PBOT Commissioner uh, Joanne Hardesty, they worked on a traffic calming project that was uh, functionally placemaking. It was beautiful, it included traffic calming. Uh, it decreased uh, gun violence in that area uh, by I want to say uh, over well over 40%. That's conservative within a short period of time, and that was commensurate. Uh, uh, that was that was in uh, stark contrast to other other neighborhoods in the area. So I think that one thing that we see when we have when we come together and we talk about what are all of our issues, we find uh, we find remedies that have a lot of co-benefits. That what is good for traffic safety is also good uh, for reducing um, other forms of violence, such as gun violence. I think that there's also, uh, we have an uptick, especially in East Portland, I live in Lentz. I was the first, uh, I was the policy and equity committee sub uh, uh, chair for uh, the Jade District when it was starting to get. There's a lot, there's been a lot of hate crimes, particularly through the pandemic, um, along 82nd Avenue. 
uh, and I mean around the city, but definitely there. And so how, how can we create those co-benefits through placemaking, through belonging, uh, through these ideas that, that we can create lovable, walkable places, that we see walkability is also disability justice, is also aging in community, is also climate action. Like that there, when we do something that is an elegant solution, we can create, it's not easy, but some of these are simple. And they become easier when we engage more members of the community. I also think uh, when we're talking about community-based uh, solutions, we need to recognize that there's a we have a lot of differences of uh, opinion. <laughs> and, and that a lot of the low-hanging fruit has been plucked for a lot of our, uh, of our issues. We are experiencing a housing crisis. We are experiencing a climate crisis. Uh, um, we are experiencing uh, incredible traffic violence. And so uh, how do we come together across difference to find perhaps not consensus, but a deeper understanding of how our needs intersect? Yeah. Also getting rid of parking minimums. Yeah, those are, all, those are all great things. I think what we've seen, unfortunately, and you mentioned Commissioner Hardesty, is that we can do something really amazing in community and then maybe the infrastructure or the policy or something's not there so that someone else can come along and maybe not push it forward or not take it to the next step. Mm -hmm. Do you have any I ideas or uh, solutions you could say for, like, if you were on council, uh, taking something that had been done and kind of taking it to the next level, even oh. even the Mount Scott Arlita thing, something like that, a yeah. community solution that we've seen in Portland, depending on who's on council, these things can just basically stop and sometimes be dismantled to some degree or reversed. So, like, what can you bring to council so that we can make sure that those things don't happen as much in the future? I think at a deep level, that is such an important and good question. I think it's important to remember, I am obviously running for city council because I care and I want to be part of a solution. No one candidate, no one politician is going to solve our problems. And government cannot be the hero of our story. Uh, Communities are the key, the heroes of our story, and it has to be. Like, the town is the hero, and the goal and the role of government, and I think of politicians, uh, is to create the conditions where communities can thrive and community-based solutions can find purchase and endure. Something like Portland Street Response that has overwhelming support. You know, I was there when uh, the first 10,000 signatures uh, in support of public street or Portland Street Response a few months ago was delivered to City Council. And that is an enduring uh, project, program, that has had a pilot. It, it was piloted in Lentz. Uh, and it has developed a deep relationship of understanding and support. And so I think that that... Um, I think it's important for politicians to realize that that we and I'm not I'm not saying anything about any politician that has come before, but I, I do think like when we get over our skis, uh, and and you know we're we're I have done this as an advocate sometimes too, like you you're trying to uh, appeal to this tension of what how to meet the urgency of the moment. And also the, the idea, I think it's NASA that says, uh, there's something in NASA manuals that it's like, the, our issues are too urgent to go fast. Like we can't afford to do something fast and then experience the inevitable backlash 
and then spend a very long time trying to regain that trust. You're talking about sort of rate of change. To me, I think a lot about rate of change uh, as somebody who straddles a lot of different worlds, you know, uh, being frustrated that things don't happen fast enough, but also understanding people in positions of power about why things can't change as fast as I want them to. You're in, you're going to be in that same boat more so than ever if you're on council. Um, you know, you are, I will just say, an activist, advocate, organizer, uh, you know, by heart, by just your nature. That's my feeling about you, um, uh, which is great. I love that because I sort of can relate to people like like you in that in that regard. And, um, but I've also seen when folks like that sort of accumulate more power or get leadership roles, their voice can can soften, they can go away, and suddenly they're just sitting there sort of like becoming part of the machine, if you will, to some degree. And I just wonder, given all the amazing work you've done, obviously where your heart is for like bending this city to a you know brighter place, like how are you going to manage that? Are you confident that you can be an elected official in a position of power and still sort of like keep it real? You've just described all of my nightmares. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, no, Are I'm not worried? confident at all. Is that and your I answer? I think that's important. <laughs> like, uh, I've actually, as part of the campaign, started to develop not like, obviously, as part of a campaign, you build a kitchen cabinet of emotional support, right? You, you build, um, and there's some here, David, Aaron, team, thank you, uh, parts of like the, 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 the work of the campaign. Um, I've also started to try to build a, uh, a team of rivals, if you will, of uh, people who are naysayers, of people that I have disagreed with, because I think it's important to have people who can call me to account. Um, and I, need, I think that that needs to be built in, because I'm not confident at all. And, uh, and you need to have the people who you care about, who you love, and you love to fight with. Um, one, uh, one of my favorite politicians has, uh, in, in the before time in Oregon politics, uh, said that he was constantly seeking the honorable opposition. I think, one, it's important to be and to seek the honorable opposition. Um, but also, like, I've had, I'll share, I had one, um, Mike Hauk, just as a story. I, I think he would be quite delighted to, for me to share this story. Uh, I fought with him a fair bit on the Planning and Sustainability Commission when we were both there. Um, and we had, we had a few like really big disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly around Southreach and the relationship between unhoused folks who were um, uh, staying along the Springwater Corridor and uh, being in harmony with M nature. Mike's Sorry. like an urban wild space advocate. He wrote like wild yes. in the city, urban preservation. So this is a person who's like big on like Oaks Bottom Park to like keep sure, yes. make sure that the lights stay out on the spring water. So Thank there's you. often tension between his ideas of preserving open space in the city with people that need to do things in urban space so right. sorry he's a pretty kind of a legend so yeah, sorry he's go ahead. great and and so when, when we've had differences of opinion i really appreciate it and i've grown from it so about six months ago uh when when i was thinking maybe i'd run uh i invited him out for a beer and uh and i asked him like hey am i allowed to swear yes great okay uh i asked him like hey there's going to be some things i think as they come up when I think that you're gonna like that, there's something that I think that you would have a strong opinion about that might not be mine. Can I call you and have you tell me how I'm full of shit? And he, the smile that erupted on his face, he was like, 
Steph, I would love to. (laughs) 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 It's like, because, and that's what it should be, right? People who we agree on some things. There are a few other people who are running for city council that I'm like, we've already had the conversation of like, I agree with you on 70%, I would say, of issues. And on the other 30%, you're the one I want to fight with about it. You're the one I want to fight with about economic development and business and, you know, incentives. Like, can we, like, let's figure out how we can work together. So, okay, speak- that an answer to your question? Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. So, kind of continuing on that, um, I wonder if you can say something about how you would manage um, – you know, opposition to stuff, let's say, that's um, in long-range planning documents and things we've already adopted uh, as a city, whether they're bike-related goals, climate goals, traffic safety goals, whatever they might be. How would you manage the what happens often in reality when we go to do those things on the ground and there are people who aren't quite comfortable with those changes being made in that moment in front of their house, right? Like, how would you manage that kind of opposition as a, as an elected official? Oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. One, I want to pause and say and appreciate you, Jonathan. Uh, one, and can we can we give it up for Jonathan? Uh, both, uh, and I'll speak in third person because I think that's what you should do when you're complimenting someone. Uh, that he. Uh, he is, as you've seen, right? He is dogged. He is thoughtful, uh, and he um, he has been the through line of a lot of of these projects over time that take a lot of time, that take that institutional memory, and has been it. But also, I just really want to thank. There are also sometimes going into from the last question. There are times that Jonathan and I have disagreed. Um, and we have had, and on the other side, when we are going through some of those disagreements, um, most people don't see them. Uh, we, I would say, we text, we call. I think there was one time, like, you came to my house. Because some things, like, when you have disagreements, on the other side of, I think, the true test of a friendship and the true, true test of your passion is uh, what is your relationship like on the other side? And I have come to the other side of a lot of those disagreements. One, being changed by them and also feeling a deeper respect and appreciation and love for our friendship um, uh, on the other side of those disagreements. And I think we the, our last disagreement was like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I just Wait, really tell appreciate Tell me more about that. We, we disagreed did, about did that? Did we disagree? Did we disagree? I thought that was just a conversation. Well, wait. <laughs> Well, that's related to my question. Yeah. I, I mean, that was actually kind of my question right. was based on that right. that phone call. Yeah. Uh, which oh, yeah. And to some degree, right? Yeah. Like where we have, you're a planning commissioner. Yeah. That's pe- Google that. Like that's, I don't know if folks are tuned in and, and plugged in, but that's a big deal. Yeah. Like they're the folks Bike that- Bike parking, we're talking about it. Yeah, we're talking about, it's a great example, Fire. right? Housing regulatory relief is going to be at planning commission like next week you said as far as a decision point this is a big deal these are some bike part of that is basically to how to speed up production of housing in the city so part of that are some bike parking uh, code regulations that you might have seen the coverage on bike portland but they were pretty big deal when they got put in yep a lot of people worked really hard to get those adopted and there was a huge celebration when they got adopted but now in the shorter term people are like "Eh, we don't need those let's make some housing and stuff and like right right? so it's pretty comp it's a complicated thing um, so, yeah, that was kind of my question. And we also, like we saw on, on 33rd, I think it's another good example. Maybe that's what sp- spurred you to call is that 
the the nexus of those two things happening within the same week almost where yeah. we have 33rd we have something already spoken for in a long-range plan but then when it gets done the people on the ground are like uh -uh, i don't think so and the politicians react to that and you kind of get this mess so the thinking is you know we're never going to get to our goals if we have to litigate things block by block right right especially things that are already in a plan That's so right. do you have any ideas or thoughts about how to you know make that happen less yeah you know? <laughs> oh no that's a great question i mean one of the other i'll i'll say like there are a couple uh, the housing regulatory relief uh, there have been a couple of articles um on bike portland about it there's there's a lot happening uh we're talking about like live workspace uh you know what are these because we're looking at you know how do we get more housing um, but how do we get it quickly? There's been a lot of underproduction recently. Um, we're e we are in a housing crisis. Uh, one thing about bike par like bike parking and active space on uh, active use on the first floor are the two most agonizing amendments for me. I will just say like it is hard. I really appreciate the work of uh, Portland Neighbors Welcome and Bike Loud and the Street Trust and Chris Smith and others for looking at like we can we can manage our expectations in the very near term, but we need to have oversight and we need to be talking about, because all of these are dials, not a switch. And I'm looking at you, Nick, uh, like uh, that, that it is a dial, it's not a switch. So how are we going to modify in real time? Because we are in uncharted water waters. I feel slightly, I will say just related to bike parking, I do feel slightly better about modifying that because we removed parking minimums statewide last year. If we had not done that, like that would for me be an absolute non-starter. But the fact that we're, we have done that um, uh, makes me a little more, uh, I won't say comfortable, but a, a less averse to, uh, to futzing with bike por parking in, in the near term. Because I too have a cargo bike. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, just to dial oh, wait, it. Can I? Go ahead. Add in a slight. Yeah. I want to say another like aspect. This is where I might end up fighting with some of you uh, in the near term because East Portland, and I I've, was thinking about this and talking about this with uh, with Kyle and and with Jonathan a few times. If you remember the uh, Holgate bike lanes, cause we've been talking about bike lane, mm -hmm. you know, issues. The uh, and in the. Uh, uh, which is the Holgate bike lane is right near my house. Um, I use it a lot. Uh, and they called it in mainstream media. They uh, did a whole series on, do you remember what they called that? Bike path to nowhere. Bike path to nowhere. The, guy, the, the, the newscaster sat a chair, like one of those little camp chairs, in the bike lane. On like the six o'clock, five o'clock primetime news, sat down and said, as you can see behind me, this controversial bike lane's not even being used. That was like the start of the. That's anyway. right. So yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so like folks were talking about just like what is what is the purpose of this bike line? Da da da. da. And through all of that, I was fascinated as someone who again has grown up in East Portland, loves East Portland. It is the home of my heart. It's like they just got a pass. At, I might cry on this one. They just got a pass at calling an entire part of town nowhere. And that's my house. Like that's our home. And it is funny, and it's also like funny in a sad way, right? <laughs> that it's like, and no one blinked. No one blinked. And so it's like, I, when I think of like, of course I want bike lanes. I, I think that cycling access in East Portland is critical. 
And also, we have underinvested in parks, in local uh, business districts, in economic opportunity in East Portland so much. There isn't, like, we need to start with placemaking. And then bikes become easy. Then it becomes nodes for public transit, right? Like, but so there's an order of operations. And so if someone were saying, we need a bike path right there, absolutely right now, it's like, do we need that first? Or do we need a park? Do we need to look at what the East Portland Division Midway Rosewood Tax Increment Financing District that they're talking about? Do we need to give that legs before we look at how we're going to connect that to other places in the city? So I just want to say, like, there might be an order of operations where you're like, in the future, if I'm lucky enough to be on city council, you might be like, you're not doing it fast enough. And it's like, I'm not doing it fast enough for you. That is correct. So, And we can... I will fight with people all day. So on, on that note of order of order of operations, if there were any PBOT people here, which typically there are, but doesn't look like there are tonight that I can see, I think they'd be thinking in their head that if you look at the numbers in terms of investment in infrastructure, they've been spending more for the last several years out in East Portland than they have in inner neighborhoods, mm -hmm. which is, runs counter to the narrative that I know you've been around this stuff lo as long as I have, if not lo longer. I can remember when that conversation first started around geographic equity. I think it was like big in a big way. It was 2008. Shota Zono was fighting with Sam Adams for the mayoral candidacy or mayor. And he brought up this thing about the Savi Island Bridge going across I-405. Remember that? Yeah. Which is now the, the Ned Flanders Bridge. Yeah. But Sam Adams, former mayor, wanted to use the one from Savi Island, reuse it out there. It turned into this huge fight because he was in a run for mayor. And his, com his competitor was an East Portland guy, Shota Zono. And Sho started to make it a big point. To, to, to fight Sam by saying, there's an old lady in East Portland without a sidewalk. We need that before right. you're going to get your bridge over the wealthiest part of town. And I remember at the end of that, like, and how many sidewalks did we build? Well, my question is, though, <laughs> that was then, and yeah. I think that became such an you know, East Portland action plan started. There's so much energy around advocacy in that in those uh, you know years after that that the amount of money started showing up, and, and Peabot really recognized that and started putting a lot of money out there. So based on what you said a second ago, or do you think that, like, how are they doing on there? They would say monetarily, if you just look at the numbers, it's there. But are you saying that, like, maybe we aren't investing in the right things in East Portland or that uh, what's what's missing out there? that you can't just say it's we need more money what do, what does east portland need i think we also still have so much catching up to do mm. just yeah. uh, across the board um i mean and i think that that's again why i'm really excited cautiously optimistic based on the coley like coley has a new project a new version of the tax increment finance like like that gets wonky i think that there is some cautious optimism again around placemaking uh, around because I, um, a lot of the projects in East Portland are, are things like the gravel streets. Like, how are we going to just level the gravel streets? Um, because we still have um, we st we still have a lack a huge lack of sidewalks. We're not going to get it. Sucks. We're not going to get those anytime soon. Sidewalks are really expensive. How do we get there? Um, especially like I don't know if you noticed. Uh, we need to have a different conversation about how we're funding transportation at the local, state, and federal levels. Um, we need to talk at some point, this is above my pay grade, about the, the state highway trust. Um, but I think in the, in the near term, we still have some ca a fair bit of catching up to do. Like, just as a, a point, we have the green loop, 
right? In in inner um, yeah, inner yeah, east and downtown. But we also have the green ring ah, yes. that has not been funded. So like there's there's some we. We have a lot of catching up to do. You you remind me of the green ring, and that was, I think, probably one of the arguments that we had in the past where I, I don't, you maybe thought I was a huge advocate for the green loop. Not necessarily. I just happened to do a lot of stories of it, about it, whatever. I do, I do think it's awesome for sure. But I remember you you probably brought that up. Maybe it was at a hearing or something, but that, that idea that, well, where's where's the green ring in Lent? Why don't we have that? Another disagreement we had was when you actually testified against bike share. Oh, yeah. Sorry to, you know. Oh, yeah, kidding. no. I, so I, when Bikeshare came, Bikeshare got triggered by a $2 million federal grant that had to go through Metro. So their hearings at Metro and everybody had to show up and say they wanted or not. There was a big feeling at the time that because it was only downtown, basically, that's where they were going to put the bikes, that folks like Steph were like, eh, eh, ain't going to happen. And so you didn't necessarily want bike share to happen at, at that point oh, or you didn't I want did want bike so share my own, to happen so badly I, I, I keep so but what i ask is like do you think now looking at it do you think do you think uh if if bike share was to expand greatly in east portland would that be a big benefit is that something that you would be in, in support of oh yeah i think that would be great i, I will say since we're talking about yeah, it sorry, yeah. the the context uh metro for the first time ever had an environmental justice criteria on that grant um and I'm sorry, uh, but bike share at that time was downtown. It was for people who were credit card holders. Um, it did not, I felt, and I w we, Oregon Walks was part of a, a small group of organizations who felt it's like, we love bike share, not with this money. This money is for environmental justice criteria. And the, the way they were trying to say it was like that there are a lot of poor people who live in the central city and our response was, and I I think that we were right on this. I am very glad that we got bike share, I love it. Uh, but being near poor people is not the same as being for poor people. Woo! There is a difference. And so it's like, love bike share but we don't get to say that something that is uh that excludes people who are unbanked at that time uh is a social justice project we just don't get to say that cool appreciate that um okay what we're bike share is great <laughs> one thing that we're, we've seen a couple of times like in tigard and and a few projects uh of like cargo bike fleets that are specific to um, affordable housing, uh, deeply affordable housing um, projects. Uh, and I think that, like, that is just such a cool potential model uh, for seeding in specific areas, you know, as we're looking yep. at both the uh, working on the housing crisis and how do we have uh, uh, affordable, abundant access to great active transportation. Cool. Yes. While we're really working on yep. um, deeply affordable transit. Oh, okay. We're cl close to wrapping up here. Then I, want, I would get to some Q and A. So if you have questions, get them ready. Um, and I can pass the mics around because there's no cord. Um, <laughs> sorry, geeking out on the tech here. Sorry. Um, okay. So you 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 have a huge background in transportation and biking, and we've been talking a lot about that tonight. I want to ask you something about the sort of saliency of transportation as a political priority. It's something I've sort of been harping on by Portland for a while, how I'm sort of like selfishly bummed a little bit that it's not a sort of like top tier issue. And like given your background and everything that you're about, 
you don't have anything on your website about transportation as a as a part of your platform. You have, I think, uh, uh, there's three things on there. Not to say that you're done with that, but I'm just saying it's it's emblematic. I think I've been scanning the 20 or so candidates. A lot of them don't even have a transportation platform. I'm curious if you think if anybody could have make that a part of their campaign and something that they, you know, push politically. Uh, it would be you, but but if it's not on your website, do you think it is an issue that can be a strong issue to run on in Portland, you know, next year? That is a great question. I feel in this, so on my on my webpage, our platform campaign platform at present is uh, housing um, uh, and shelter, uh, community safety, and climate action and shared prosperity. Um. I believe that transportation runs through all of those. Uh, transportation is a mode. It is a mode to housing. It is a mode to climate action. Um, but it, I have not. It is a mode to shared prosperity. Um, and we're looking at, like, for example, PCEF's most recent, the Climate Investment Plan for Transportation Decarbonization, demonstrates that. Like, transportation is climate action. Uh, but I believe that transportation is in service to all of that. Also, equity and racial justice are not things that are called out um, on my platform either, but they are woven through uh, racial justice, gender justice, um, social justice, uh, um, class are woven through all of it because that that is housing, that is climate action. So I think that that transportation, I think that shows up in different ways by different names, sometimes in service too, but I, th I think that what I'm hearing you say, and I, uh, if I'm hearing what you're, s I think you're saying, I agree, uh, is that um, that it is always on the table, it is always part of, I mean, one up to, I believe about one third of our city's land use are streets. That's a third of our land use, like, <laughs> as a city. Like, it had, like, we, Transportation is absolutely has to be a part of it, but it is a mode. It is a utility. Appreciate that answer. Fantastic. Let's um let's get to some Q and A. And we have a question. Go ahead. So I'll start with Lois, and I'll get to you. So, I like all the things you have to say. I'm not going to vote for you, but that's because I'm not in your district. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you'd be so great on city council. Why haven't you run before? Oh. That's a good question. Well, I was, <laughs> um, you're so kind. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I, I begged to be on the Planning and Sustainability Commission because I wanted that to be my terminal, ser I was hoping that would be my terminal service. It's uh, really time intensive, it's super wonky, it's low profile, it pays zero dollars, and um, and it is it was the love letter to my city. Um, and then I saw we worked really hard on the shelter to housing continuum project. Uh, it passed unanimously, and then I didn't see much happen with it. Um, and then, uh, and I realized then when I saw the district lines drawn um, for the new system, and I saw that um, on day one of the administration, the new administration, East Portland would have more representation than in the cumulative, on day one of the administration, than in the cumulative history of Portland City Council. Like that was just so meaningful and I couldn't say no. Okay, we have another question over here. I would love if you could expound upon the idea of shared prosperity and what you mean by that and how to implement that. Yeah, could you say who you are? 
introduce I'm yourself? Michael. I'm a uh, Portlander. Yeah, great. On a bike. Okay. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> um, I feel like that shared prosperity has has a number of elements, but I think like the they that idea of like we we all do better when we all do better. Short answer, if you have read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, that is the answer. I think one, we need to be supporting uh, local entrepreneurship as one. We need to be supporting good thriving wage jobs. Uh, and that has a lot of levers to it. I mean, we're seeing, I don't know if you've heard, there's a few organizations on strike right now and are looking at uh, at a thriving wage and that like that teachers conditions are learning conditions as well. I'm uh, with another, I'm an adjunct professor at PSU. Uh, I teach community organizing and social change. We also, we just, we averted a strike. We were getting strike ready similarly. To that end, um, uh, we are currently going through a process in the city called the economic opportunity analysis. I'm on the collaborative working group and um, we're looking at like what does the future of economic opportunity look like in the city from a zoning perspective. But I think that that is one of many levers. And the city of Portland is a huge employer. Okay, Hami has a question over here. Hi, Steph. Thanks for being here. Uh, Jonathan, this Thank you for being wireless here. mic is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> my name's Hami. <laughs> um, yes. No, I, I might like start singing. Yeah. Sing yeah. Carrie, we're here for um, it. Anyway, uh, you mentioned love many times. I think in your in your answers, and I I want to see what you have to say about how we can bolster a loving city. Uh, I think we all have love within us. It, the question is, how do we tap into that? essence and make it the foundation of everything that we do yeah. small question <laughs> well, i will say just in terms of the new form of government uh i'll just get really tactical for a minute and and i can go out um uh one reason that i was so such a strong advocate for the new um form of elections as well as government was because Proportional, repre proportional representation ranked choice voting, um, uh, which is multi-member districts, uh, advantages collaboration and coalition building. Because, uh, and, and I've been working, I've been talking with a lot of, especially like trying to talk with any endorsing organization that we can, um, political strategists, anyone who is currently influencing the nature of elections right now, of like just the TLDR that if if you uh, like if you as a candidate run a tear down election a tear down candidacy you will lose that our current our new form of elections actually advantages collaboration and coalition building and running for a vision and building alliances with colleague candidates we are not opponents we are colleagues. Right, so it's like, uh, 
I believe like uh, other folks who are running in District One. Timur Ender has worked at Peabot. You've probably ta uh, hung out with him. we for Better Block uh, PDX and a number of other. He's wonderful. I'm so thrilled to be a colleague candidate of his. We have Candace Avalos, who's the executive director of Verde, um, has been until very recently on the board of uh, Portland Neighbors Welcome, an amazing human, and and on the the uh, board of Street Roots. I'm just just so thrilled to be in this space with them. There's others, David Lynn, uh, Dean Salazar, Jamie Dunphy, like there's there's great people and we get to hang out and we get to talk about what our shared vision looks like and also how we disagree and how we are different. Um, but we're different. We can we can do that and still uh, achieve consensus and try to build consensus and build relationship across difference. So I think that that is one way. And I think that like now is that critical time of shifting. We have this critical moment in our city's history of shifting the organizational culture of our city government. And that redounds to like that each each neighborhood, each each of the four districts will have not one but three people that will be they will be able to go to and that are then legislatively uh, accountable to a specific group of folks. And I think that that building those relationships, building a sense of place uh, is an opportunity to really identify the sense of belonging. And I think one thing that that I don't think that we talk about enough. Uh, Jonathan was talking about how um, I was a harbinger of disaster for four years, 9-11, SARS, uh, bird flu and then the tsunami. Uh, hey, I know, I know, but like, but one thing about both SARS and COVID, like we, um, I remember thinking at one point, like of all of those, uh, all of those major community-based uh, emergencies that we all went through, SARS was the worst because, and COVID has been, we have been in the space of the last three years of fearing other human beings in front of us because we don't know what they are bringing into our space. And that fear is isolating. Like we have a mental, we had a loneliness crisis before pandemic. Where are we right now? So I think like acknowledging that, honoring that and looking at how between now and day one of the new administration and then beyond, how are we building a sense of belonging and how are we recognizing how much disconnection people have been feeling and a lot of the the issues that we're seeing how much of that is it's not the individual this is about fear this is a this is an individualized and collective fear that we are still working our way through we are still metabolizing individually and as communities and just holding each other with the grace that we can group hug Party. <laughs> uh, any, any, any questions? Questions? Oh, Alan? Thank you for your good work over the years. Um, you too, Alan? So the city has a wonderful bicycle plan from 2010 <laughs> that envisions 25%, you know, right here, and we're stuck at 7%. And even though usually, you know, quality is more important than quantity, but it'd be great to have 25% or 79 or 99. Um, but uh, I'm wondering if you have specific ideas and proposals how to get there. Like I'm thinking of, you know, encouraging school kids. Like the school bus is wonderful. Having a class in school about cycling. Um, 
closing the downtown to cars, you know, more bike lanes and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think I I go back to uh, uh, making the case for cycling is a lot easier when you have places to cycle to. Uh, and, um, and again, I think of as the former executive director of Oregon Walks, um, I think there's walkability and rollability is the elegant solution to so many of our our issues and makes the abundant case for cycling clear and i think that like that there's that triptych of transit and walkability and cycling and we need to do all three um i think that one thing that we've that uh is a little bit uh that we need to be working uh, better with and we need to really look at how transit is funded and how um, how we're working on operations because <laughs> transit is the backbone to a land use that makes both cycling and walking uh, inevitable. Yes, well put. Scott, I might give Scott the last word here. First wanted to make a little observation about your neighborhood. You know it's I've great. lived in Portland for 61, in the Portland area for 61 years. Well, my sister lived within a mile of your place for almost 20 year, thir- 25 years. Let's put it this way, simple matter of fact. Lance gets, if it's lucky, five cents of every dollar spent on their neighborhood. The simple reality is, is they, they have never been able to get, if you get in, how are you and everybody else going to work to help? Uh, I mean, that's why I, that's a great question. That's why I filed, one of the reasons I filed early is because I think the collaboration and coalition building um, needs to happen on the campaign trail. Um, and that's why I wanted to start early. So that's why I've started. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. You, because you know how long I've been waiting. Yeah. Almost 50 years. He's probably not the only one. No, I may just move to lab <laughs> so I can vote for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will be sending you some money. Thanks, Scott, for the question. And thank you, Steph, for thank having this chat out in the street on a cold night. appreciate you being thank here. Thank you all for being here. You're all, you're all heroes. <laughs> that was city council candidate for District 1, Steph Ralph standing outside with me on Southeast Ankeny Street between 27th and 28th at Bike Happy Hour. Thank you so much for listening. As always, remember that Bike Portland is community journalism, and it needs community to survive. So if you are a subscriber, thank you very much. Uh, if you're not a subscriber yet, please become one at bikeportland.org slash subscribe. We also take financial contributions, and a lot of folks like to just do that. So if you can hit us up at bikeportland.org slash support, you'll find our Venmo name at Bike Portland and other things like that. If you want to help us keep doing the work that is vital, not just viral, that's what we're doing here. It's human-powered news. Bike Portland since 2005 would love to have you be a part of it as a financial supporter. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we'll see you in the streets.